Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lago. And I'm Scott Schaefer. And today on The Breakdown, we're continuing our series of conversations with November candidates. Today, it's GOP Attorney General hopeful Nathan Hockman. He's joining us right here in the studio. That's right. Last week, you may remember, we spoke with Attorney General Rob Bonta. Now, we will hear from Hockman. He's a California native who's worked on most sides of the legal system as a federal prosecutor and defense lawyer. And he's hoping to overcome Californians' 15-year streak of electing only Democrats to statewide office. Nathan Hockman, welcome to The Breakdown. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for inviting me. So we want to get into your bio and how you got here, but big picture question, since you're still introducing yourself to a lot of folks, why do you want this job? You know, I want this job because safety and security have broken down in the state. You know, we've gone from 2014 being one of our safest years in the last 50 years to basically off the cliff when it comes to safety and security. And as someone who's a lifelong Californian who has, you know, gone to, you know, I've been married here, I grew up here, I went to school here, my three kids have been raised here. You know, I, I look at what's going on in California, up and down this state, you know, from San Francisco, Los Angeles, Central Valley, the North State, uh, and people are fed up, they are frustrated, and they are afraid. They're afraid to send their kids out at night. They're afraid to send their parents out at night, their neighbors, because they're looking at exploding violent and street crime, homelessness at an all-time high, and fentanyl poisonings that are going to kill more people in many cities than COVID. And they just say, enough is enough. And I come into that and I say, look, I've got 30 years of experience dealing with criminal justice against the zero years of experience of Rob Bonta. And I want to bring that experience to bear to bring safety and security back to Californians. We're going to get into some specifics in just a moment, but just a quick follow-up on that. Do you think to a certain extent, like social media and vi- things going viral can make the situation seem worse than they really are? And if you look at like some of the worst murder rates, for example, they're in, in gun violence rates. They're in red states and red counties here in California. I think what you need to look at is the combination of all the different types of crimes that are going on. Because if you look at robberies, if you look at assaults, uh, if you combine that then with, you know, the the more violent offenses all the way up to homicides. I mean, we just had a 15-year high in Los Angeles in homicides. People see and they feel that they can't go outside their house without taking precautions nowadays in a way that they haven't had to feel that way in years. I mean, you've got a situation, what I've called the spiral of lawlessness, that people see and feel every day, where one person goes into a small business, walks, not runs out, with not just under $950, because they know they're not going to get prosecuted, leading three people to run out of a CVS, 80 people to run out of a Nordstrom's, 100 people most recently in a 7-Eleven in Los Angeles doing a flash mob. Then you have smash-and-grab robberies. Uh, follow home robberies, train robberies in Los Angeles, and almost a double-digit rise in homicides. 
that's a spiral of lawlessness that people see and they feel. And my goal is to actually stop that in its track and bring back a spiral of lawfulness. All right. We'll get back to that debate because I do want to get into your biography. Um, You said you mentioned you're a lifelong Californian. You grew up in Los Angeles. Tell us a little bit about your childhood. Were your parents political? Uh, Is this a path you would have expected as a kid? So my parents were very involved in the communities. They were each presidents of the Jewish Federation of Los Angeles, involved in many civic uh, educational um, organizations, nonprofits. And they basically, at our our kitchen table, it was my brother, my younger brother, and two younger sisters. It was a very loud kitchen table. Well, there's four of you, so I would imagine. Were, it was loud. <laughs> and, uh, and But the emphasis was your responsibility about doing something for your society. You weren't allowed in my family just to sit on the sidelines. Uh, and that was in, inculcated to us in a very early age. And so I basically, you know, when I got out of law school, I decided to join the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I was a federal prosecutor for seven years, went after narcotics traffickers and gang members, ran, you know, did international money laundering cases, ran the environmental crime section, and went after air, sea, and land polluters. I then went into private practice, but then back to government service when President George W. Bush appointed me as the Assistant Attorney General of the Tax Division of the U.S. Department of Justice, went back to D.C., uh, ran a division with a $100 million budget, 350 lawyers going after tax cheats across the nation. This is your first run for office. Uh, but were you active like in high school and student government or anything like that? I mean, what, what turned you toward politics and what turned you toward the law? So the law was easy. That, that's the easier question because my father was a lawyer. My father was a tax lawyer. And he didn't view his job just as a lawyer. He actually liked the word counselor. Because he viewed himself and his, and his role is not just explaining the law to someone, uh, but dealing with all their problems uh, and using the law as the vehicle to help solve their problems. I saw the law as a vehicle to helping solve both individuals and society's problems. And I've actually loved being a lawyer ever since, you know, I was a young little kid uh, working in my dad's law office. Uh, but then, you know, I got the, I get the opportunity to, well, I mean, you ask about public service. Okay. I was the student body president back okay. in the, <laughs> there the go. lead. You, you the knew lead. you were going to get that. <laughs> what was your yes. campaign slogan? <laughs> All right. You were really going deep here. <laughs> it was uh, let the hawk fly into office. Whoa. Oh, wow. Okay. We, we did not try to. <laughs> All right. We can just end the yeah, show now. That did, is the best thing drop. we've heard all we day. Did not, you, we did not use that, uh, that slogan in this particular campaign <laughs> uh, because back in my high school, quite candidly, safety and security was not the issue. Uh, there were other issues. It wasn't safety and security. Uh, but now it is. And now that is the focus, the 100% focus. And by the way, the reason it's the focus and the reason I actually think I can win and break this 15-year drought uh, is that safety and security for the first time in 20 years is polling as a top three issue among Californians. And the best data points I have to show that it's real and crossover is your recall here in San Francisco and the almost recall in Los Angeles. Of the DAs. Of the DAs, that's correct. When Chase Boudin got recalled, 55 to 45, they estimate that over seven-eighths of the vote were Democrats and independents. The same thing in Los Angeles. When 715,000 signatures were submitted, they estimate that three-quarters of those signatures were Democrats and independents. 
when you have Democrats and independents looking at their safety and security, and the only position statewide that's uniquely situated with that safety and security is the attorney general's position, I am convinced that people will vote for the person rather than the party. They'll look at experience, my 30 years versus zero years for Rob Bonta, and they'll look at our policies. Let me ask you about that experience, because you mentioned your work in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Um, I know that you uh, worked both in the L.A. office and back in D.C., but then you also have done defense work. And I'm wondering kind of just what you learned from that that you would bring back to a prosecutor's job? Like, how would you look at it potentially differently than somebody who came up through, you know, a DA's office? You know, it's a great point because it gives me a unique perspective. In other words, what I say is, look, I'm not looking to go back to the blanket policies of putting everybody in jail for 100 years. But I reject the blanket policies of Rob Bonta and the DAs like Boudin and George Gascon in Los Angeles that basically have blanket policies of no incarceration. Because I have experience on both sides of the aisle as a prosecutor and a defense attorney, I advocate the hard middle. And the reason it's hard is it requires an individualized analysis of the defendant, the crime they've committed, their criminal history, and the often overlooked impact on the victim. Now, I could, based on my 30 years, I can calibrate where the line is of the people who are true public safety threats and need to be incarcerated versus those who can serve their debt to society in some other way like home detention or community service, because they're non-serious, non-violent, first-time offenders. Let me ask you, you, you say uh, that you, you, you sort of want to occupy the hard middle. Um, and I'm wondering, like, are there things on the hard right that you think are being uh, you know, promoted uh, by some on the landscape? You're maybe your opponent in the primary, for example, Eric Early, things that you just disagree with because they're too extreme. Certainly. I think that the extreme policies where they used to have mandatory minimums, where someone, for instance, when I was a federal prosecutor, if you were trafficking five grams of raw cocaine, you triggered a 10-year mandatory minimum, as opposed to, for instance, 50 grams of powder cocaine. There were certain laws in place that had been modified since then that I think were part of the blanket policies of the, you could call it the right end of the pendulum swing. But now we're on the other end of the pendulum swing. And I reject both ends of the pendulum swing. But Rob Bonta is uh, is firmly ensconced in a most pro-criminal agenda, probably in California history. He's on that far left end, if you want to look at it like that, of the pendulum Mm -hmm. swing. And what he's done is he's opened up the entire middle. (laughs) <laughs> Literally but, the entire you, middle for myself. Okay, I, I really want to talk about your bio, but since you're bringing this up, let me push you back on that because a lot sure. of the things you're talking about are not in the purview of the AG. They're in the purview of local district attorneys. And Rob Bonta has supported reforms that you disagree with, but he himself has done very little as attorney general that I can tell to not prosecute people or to, to go after those big things. So how, how, how do you see that you would be making that difference? Because again, a lot of this is happening at the county level, not at the state level. And that is what the, Marissa, let me push back on you, because that is the classic misperception that most voters have. The California Attorney General is the chief law enforcement officer under the California Constitution. Under that Constitution, he can come into any county whenever he wants. And if he believes that the DA in that county is not doing his job, he can take over that prosecution. He can't fire the DA, but he can take over that prosecution. And I have vowed, for instance, with Los Angeles, that if George Gascon is not going to go ahead and bring a gun enhancement Mm -hmm. when a gun is used, 
where if he persists in policies that effectively get people who commit serious offenses be arrested in the morning and released in the afternoon, I will bring in the California Attorney General's office. And to answer your question then, every action taken by a DA the boss, which is the attorney general, is ultimately responsible for. They might push back on that. They are elected independently. <laughs> they are absolutely. And by the way, the overwhelming number of DAs are doing their job and doing it very well every day. But when they're not, and, and by the way, and the California attorney general bears the, you know, bears the, um, whether you call it credit or bears the responsibility for all of them doing their job. You uh, made a reference a moment ago to, uh, you know, these gra- uh, smashing grabs and people, if they, they know that if they steal less than $950, they're not going to get prosecuted. I mean, that you're referring to Proposition 47, which voters passed overwhelmingly. They also passed Prop 57 when Jerry Brown was governor. And then more recently, they overwhelmingly rejected uh, a ballot measure to roll back some of those things. So are you out of step then with California voters and what you're advocating? I'm not. And let me tell you why. Proposition 47 was sold to voters as the Safe Neighborhoods and Schools Act. Uh, it's produced anything but safe neighborhoods and schools. And the statistics don't lie in with, with respect to this. And as far as being out of step, again, what I think voters have now come to realize is the impact of Proposition 47. That they thought, okay, we're going to, you know, the, what was sold to them is that we're going to reduce felonies into misdemeanors. We're, there, we're going to then empty out our prisons. We're then going to take that money and bring that money into local communities to make the neighborhood safer. None of that occurred, other than the fact that the laws did get weakened, that's for sure. I mean, there's hundreds of millions of dollars that have been put into community programs in the budget every year. Oh, oh, from of course there are, but not transferred from savings of Proposition 47. Of course, for hundreds of millions of dollars end up in communities every year. No, no, no. I mean, that's directly the way the governor's budget is written, that it says this is Prop 47 savings. This is where we're putting it. So you just don't think those savings are occurring? I don't think those savings are occurring. That's correct. I think that basically what happened is that the 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 impact of those savings, to the extent that there were any savings, has not been realized in the local communities. If that's because it hasn't been spent appropriately, you don't have, for instance, better jails or better preventive programs that have occurred in certain communities. You have police budgets that, if anything, have been cut rather than increased. Although that's conflating things, right? Because Prop 47 and police budgets are... Totally separate. This is true. They actually advocated preventive programs. And you, yeah. can, you can go from community to community to community and not see that the Proposition 47 has resulted in those preventative programs being properly funded. Got it. All right. We have to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Los Angeles Attorney Nathan Hockman. He's running for state attorney general. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. 
Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. We are thrilled to have here today in the studio with us Nathan Hockman. He's a Republican lawyer. He's challenging Attorney General Rob Bonta this fall. Um, you know, you mentioned going in and taking over investigations or, you know, basically doing it yourself as attorney general if you disagree with the DA. I'm curious about one that the DA actually waded into uh, in Los Angeles last week, which is Sheriff Villanueva, um, uh, an investigation into some of his political opponents uh, that Bonta's office essentially took away. I know you've been endorsed by Villanueva. I'm curious your thoughts on that decision and if you would continue that if you were elected. If you're asking whether or not I would continue to that particular case, yeah. I, I would. The, the goal of that case, Sheriff Villanueva was recused, as you probably know from that case. So he actually wasn't in charge of that investigation. The sheriff's department was, to the extent that the and Sheriff Villanueva, when an issue came up on whether or not uh, Sheila Kuehl and the other targets of the investigation were illegally notified that a search warrant was going to be executed. A letter was written to the California Attorney General's Office to investigate. So certainly, the California Attorney General's Office has the right, in fact, this, is, this proves my point, mm-hmm. to come into any situation. But where was Rob Bonta when George Gascon uh, was making a decision over the four gang members who shot down an LAPD off-duty officer in cold blood? And George, and George Gascon says, I'm not going to bring the gang enhancement. I'm not going to bring the gun enhancement, not because the evidence didn't warrant it, because he has a policy decision. And, Sh- and Sheriff Villanueva and the LAPD chief end up bringing that case to the feds. Where was Rob Bonta coming in in that situation, taking the case over from George Gascon and saying, no, the state courthouse is open when a state law enforcement officer, an LAPD officer, gets killed? But he then goes ahead in this situation and takes over for an L.A. Department, uh, L.A. Sheriff's Department investigation of very high placed Democrats in Los Angeles. You know, a lot of the tension in issues like this is between the reformers, you know, who want to you know, reduce incarceration, increase rehabilitation, um, also maintain accountability for law enforcement, uh, police and sheriffs. And coming back to uh, the sheriff in Los Angeles, uh, Villanueva. Or Villanueva, um, what is it? He has really used that office as a bully pulpit. He's used it with high-profile press conferences to crack down on homeless encampments uh, in Venice. Uh, he there are allegations that he isn't really looking at gangs within his own department carefully enough. You know, do you? How do you see him? I mean, is he a model law enforcement person? Do you, do you think he's? You know, what what do you have any issues with him and the way he's run that office? Sure. Let me start out by saying in the 1990s, I prosecuted members of the elite um, Los Angeles Sheriff's Drug Unit. Uh, They were stealing from drug dealers. They were stealing their money and their drugs. I participated in the prosecution team, and we got over 15 convictions. I have no problem that if a sheriff does something wrong or crosses a line, uh, if it's a criminal line, obviously going after the people in the sheriff's department who do it and prosecuting them. If it's some other line calling it out, if, uh, if there's something that, that the evidence shows that the sheriff has done wrong, calling it out. Now, with respect to, you know, uh, if, if the implication is that because she, it's interesting, Sheriff Villanueva is a Democrat. He's running in a heavily Democratic district. I am the only Republican that he is supporting 
statewide. Although he, some would say he's not really a Democrat. <laughs> well, he's a registered Democrat. He's got a D next to his name. But. He's got a D next to his name, and he needs to just like you know, if you want to win in Los Angeles. By the way, as you probably know, you better get a lot of D's and a lot of independents to vote to you for you because if you just get Republicans, you're going to lose. So Sheriff Villanueva's easiest thing in the attorney general's race would have been to endorse Rob Bonta, someone who he's actually worked with. But Sheriff Villanueva does not view Rob Bonta as a partner to bring back safety and security to Los Angelinos. He doesn't view Rob Bonta as someone to bring back safety and security for Californians. And he endorsed me, which was politically... If anything, it was a political mistake to introduce me, to, to endorse me, because it didn't advantage him at all. If anything, it hurt Sheriff Villanueva's chances, but he wanted to do the right thing in my race, and that's why he endorsed me. So we didn't answer the question, though. I mean, there's a lot of questions around his leadership and sort of the internal workings of that department. And if police are being held accountable, do you have concerns? Yes. I mean, yes, I have concerns about any allegation that the allegation needs to be pursued and see what the evidence is. I wouldn't back off for a nanosecond in following any allegation and, and, and tracking it down and see where the evidence lies, whether it's Sheriff Villanueva, any sheriff mm-hmm. uh, in the state of California or any district attorney, for that matter, or any citizen of California. You follow, That's the thing about being a lawyer first and not a politician. I was trained from the get-go, that you follow the evidence, you apply the law, and you reach a conclusion. I'm not like Rob Bonta, a politician by training with zero law enforcement against my 30 years, who's going to basically follow the political winds and not follow the evidence to make his decisions. Coming back to accountability, um, do you think that Bonta and, you know, it's not just him. I mean, the Californians had a policy through the legislature and the governor signed bills to, to hold police Uh, officers more accountable to do independent investigations. Do you think that California has gone too far in that direction? Well, I think that that what you have to balance is a full support for the overwhelming number of police officers who are doing their job very well every day. These are the folks, by the way, that run when, when someone's shooting, they run towards those bullets. They don't run away from those bullets. But is the balance right at the moment? I think that Rob Bonta is not executing the balance correctly. I well, think he give, is, give an example of where he's... Certainly. I think what, where Rob Bonta is supporting, again, we'll, and we'll use LADA George Gascon because it's probably one of the bigger examples in California. When he goes ahead and supports uh, Bonta's, or excuse me, Gascon's uh, policies dealing with bail, where people are being arrested uh, in the morning and being released in the afternoon, and the criminals are basically telling the law officers, I'll see you tomorrow when they get arrested. When Bonta supports Gascon in doing that, I think he's making a big mistake. I think he's destroying the morale of the police officers. Now, that doesn't mean that if a police officer crosses the line, you shouldn't do a full investigation, which you're legally obligated to do. And if they did cross the line, do what I did back in the 90s and hold them accountable. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos. Here with Scott Schaefer. We're talking with L.A. lawyer Nathan Hockman. He's running for Attorney General of California. This is a pledge period for KQED. For more information or to support us, go to kqed.org slash donate. All right. I want to switch gears here and talk about something that you have been really focusing on on the trail, which is the fentanyl and opioid crisis. Um, 
I guess broadly, I mean, what's your approach to this? This is something that I think both parties, independents, everyone agrees is a huge issue. We are seeing hundreds, thousands of deaths around the state, um, 700 in San Francisco last year alone. How would you use the power of the attorney general's office to really deal with this? Certainly. Again, you cannot understate the fentanyl crisis that we are engaging in. We will average 17 Californians dead today from fentanyl poisoning over 5,000 at the end of the year. Again, and these, I view many of these, and and I use the word poisoning, not overdose, because most of the people who are dying from fentanyl have no idea that it's been laced into uh, uh, counterfeit Percocets, Oxycontin, Xanax, you know, Adderall. Uh, It's laced into weed, ecstasy, cocaine. They don't know that it's laced in. It's coming in through the Mexican drug cartels. Millions of these counterfeit pills are coming in. What is your sense of why they're putting fentanyl in those? Fentanyl is 50 times more powerful than heroin, 100 times more powerful than morphine. Right. It is supremely addictive. So the Mexican drug cartels, they view these deaths as collateral damage. It shows you how much money they're making because it's incredibly cheap to make. Mm. I mean, you don't need the poppies from Afghanistan to be making this stuff. They make it in drug labs. And again, they, they view this, the 100 or so thousand deaths nationally, the five or so thousand deaths in California, as collateral damage. And what I would do as California attorney general is you would hear about fentanyl every single week. Rob Bonta has been completely missing in action. I can't say this more graphically than this. These are preventable deaths. He has not prevented these deaths. Those deaths are on his hands. And what I would do is I would lead a state, federal, local, massive uh, effort to go after the fentanyl dealers because these are murderers. These are not dealing people. They're not dealing drugs to make you high. They're dealing poison to kill you. And I would treat it exactly like that. There was a very tragic story uh, in the Chronicle, I think, today or yesterday about this uh, young man, 17 years old, uh, up in Placer County, had gotten some uh, some uh, Percocet on Snapchat and it was laced with fentanyl and he died. His acceptance letter to UCLA came a few days later. Heartbreaking. What would you do about, you know, platforms like Snapchat? Uh, how would you go after them? Well, I marched uh, with the, the parents who lost children from fentanyl poisoning at Snapchat's headquarters. And I demanded along with them that Snapchat give parents a, a sort of technological device that allows them to monitor their children's uh, usage of Snapchat, which Snapchat, at least at the time, refused to do. And I thought that was a very practical way for parents to take over the rearing of their children and not let Snapchat sort of bypass it. But I, again, I would, uh, I would work with the other agencies in California to begin to, to couple the enforcement effort with a massive education effort targeted at the middle and high schools, targeted students and parents to go ahead and let people know of the dangers of fentanyl four out of ten of these counterfeit pills estimated by the DEA have a lethal dose of fentanyl. And by by the way, you know what a lethal de- dose of fentanyl is? Two milligrams. Two milligrams will kill you in two minutes. It really is that serious. And where is Rob Bonta? Shame on you, Rob Bonta. Right. I will applaud you. I will tell you right now, if Rob Bonta wants to focus the California Attorney General's office tomorrow on fentanyl poisonings, his biggest fan will be Nathan Hockman. Shame on you for having preventable deaths on your hands. 
All right. We have just about a minute or so left. I want to ask you, you know, one place that you might break with a lot of folks in the party is that you've talked about uh, supporting abortion rights. um, And I believe that you are supporting Proposition 1 on the ballot to enshrine them in the Constitution. Is that correct? Is that right? Yeah. And and let me answer that question. I know we have just a limited amount of time left. I'm running as a moderate Republican. And here's what I mean by that. I've been pro-choice my whole life. I will enforce all the laws on the books to protect women's reproductive rights, full stop. Uh, With respect to Proposition 1, I take the authors at their word that what Proposition 1 is doing is codifying existing law Mm -hmm. dealing with women's reproductive rights and contraceptives. Uh, And to the extent that I view my role as enforcing current law, Proposition 1 not changing that law, I would be in favor of Proposition 1. Have we gotten any pushback on the right from that? You know, again, what, what, to the extent that there is pushback on the right, they just disagree with, with current California law. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not running to be an assemblyman. I'm not running to be a, a state senator or the governor. I'm not running to make the law. I'm running to enforce it. And that's what I intend to do. We're going to have to leave it there. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. Thank you so much, Nathan Hockman, for coming in today. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. He is running for attorney general. And we also interviewed his opponent. You might have heard his name today. It's Rob Bonta uh, last week. All right. That'll do it for this week. We're a production of KQD Public Radio. Guy Marzarotti is our producer. And our engineer is Katie McMurrin. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me on Twitter at M Lagos. Check out our voter guide at kqed.org. And come back here next week for more candidate interviews. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts.